Real quick, everyone, this year we are really trying to grow the podcast, and one of the best ways to do that is by rating and reviewing the podcast. Whether you're listening on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts, help us out by rating and reviewing the podcast, and that'll help us grow and reach new audiences and hopefully continue spreading the important message of prevention. Welcome, everyone, to another brand new episode of the Preventive Medicine Podcast. Thank you all for listening so much. Whether you are a brand new listener or a returning listener, we hope you find some value in this episode and in all of the other episodes that we have. If you're brand new, we have 46 other episodes, I believe, that we think are of uh, great value to you. Today is none different, and let's get into it. Overcoming saber-toothed tigers and woolly mammoths, we must now face a new enemy, ourselves. With the rates of diseases such as heart disease, stroke, diabetes, depression, and many others ballooning, we must find a better solution to these modern epidemics. Welcome to the Preventive Medicine Podcast. We believe in building a foundation of health by means of prevention so that you can build the life you want and find fulfillment with no barriers. Hear from experts around the country on how to take your health into your hands. Take control and build a foundation of health for the life that you want to live. And now, here's your host, Raghav Sharma. Welcome everyone to another episode and today we are talking with someone who like myself lost a lot of weight and I love hearing these origin stories and we're going to ask him about it in just a second but he lost a lot of weight found his passion in that journey and is now a certified specialist in sports dietetics. So this is Gerald or not, um, and he will correct me if I'm pronouncing that last name wrong. I was actually, funnily enough, I was telling him the last time I saw him in person that I never asked people how to pronounce their names, and I realized I forgot again. We can ask him, clarify on that later, but he earned his bachelor's in food, nutrition, dietetics, got his master's in nutrition, physical performance, before getting a his... Uh, certification as a specialist in sports dietetic dietetics and now he's a team bio lane coach and uh what that means is that uh lane norton who is a large figure in the nutrition space kind of has a large team and he is not a part of it meaning he is probably pretty evidence-based so gerald welcome to the show thank you super excited to be here appreciate it did i pronounce your last name correctly it's earn it like just earn it so um yeah close right. i get earn not uh, it's not the worst, uh, um, what am I trying to say here? It's not like the worst pronunciation I've heard. So, all right. So that's not bad, but I need to make it a habit of asking. And I once again, forgot, even though I told you in person <laughs> that good. I always forget. Um, so like I was saying, you lost a lot of weight. Can you tell me about your origin story? How did this all get started? Yeah. So I grew up in, you know, small farm town, Illinois, and really didn't, take into account nutrition growing up. So I grew up like part of the clean your plate club. You didn't leave the table until all of your food is finished. Uh, you know, my, my parents were hardworking and, you know, they worked hard for their money and put food on the table. So we were going to get our money's worth. So, you know, I was, I was no stranger to eating my, as much as I wanted really. Uh, and yeah, didn't really, understand the value of nutrition growing up um so yeah uh just ate kind of whatever but uh throughout this entire process i i was really active so basketball i was involved in sports for a long period of time and so i really i realized as you know in high school came in or came around that nutrition does play a huge role and my my weight was um def definitely overweight because of that so 
you know, all throughout high school, I've tried dieting and stuff like that. I tried all mm-hmm. the powders, the pills, the, you know, weird fad diets out there and nothing really worked. I couldn't really sustain anything that I tried. And then it just kind of clicked after high school, I set out and I was really hell bent on losing weight and really making a change. And so I, you know, changed my eating habits. I tried to research as much as possible, the good and the bad of, you know, nutrition practices and lost about 70 pounds uh, going into my freshman year of college. And yeah, been kind of hooked ever since on the whole nutrition and exercise thing. That sounds scarily similar to myself. Um, we diverged in some way. Um, I feel like I probably should have gotten nutrition. I probably should have learned more formally. Um, I ended up doing a lot more informal research. Can I ask you, what was your peak weight before you lost all that? The largest number on the scale that I saw was 251. Okay. Yeah. And I asked that because uh, both, I think uh, we've had episodes previously where myself and Jason, who is my previous co-host, we also have had similar journeys and both of us were like 260 okay. before we lost our weight. And then we're talking with someone else who was also on here and they're like, yeah, I was 260 pounds as well. So I was just curious to see if you were also within the 260 pound club. Yeah. So I was, I, so that was like the highest documented. I was probably, I would say I was probably 255, like comfortably. Yeah. So I, you know, you got me beat on that, but. Uh, but yeah. <laughs> it's not something it's not something we want to compete on yeah right <laughs> but anyway so let's get uh into a little bit more of the bread and butter of this so we're gonna be talking a lot about supplements and sports nutrition because that is what you do that's how you got into it but before we get there this is the preventive medicine podcast and we ask everyone from their perspective given the clients that they work with given that they're tr- they're training their interests what does preventive medicine mean to you this one really had me thinking on, on the outline um And so I took some time to think about it. And so I kind of made my own definition, of course. And so preventive medicine means to me that you're making nutrition and lifestyle choices to improve your health and reduce your risk of illness. And that's also respecting your mind and your body to improve your quality of life. That's kind of what I think of when I think of preventative medicine. Beautiful. Um, I think that's nice and succinct. It takes into account a lot of uh, what we talk about in this podcast. So it's a beautiful definition. Um, <laughs> you should start writing more in dictionaries. <laughs> I don't know about that. Um, so we are going to be diving into supplements. And the reason that I chose this topic for whoever is listening is because we've talked about nutrition from various aspects on this podcast, and you can only hit it from so many angles at to some extent. But one of the things that we haven't discussed yet are supplements. And I think that this is worth discussing because like uh, Gerald was talking about, when he first started his journey, he started weight loss and then started taking his pills, powders, and he jumped straight to that. That was the second thing he said. And a lot of times when people are on their weight loss journeys, they look right away at the supplements because how can you not when you have GNC selling supplements, say, burn fat like three times as fast and all of these ads that'll pop through on your social media where you can burn weight super quickly using this one magic supplement. So we're going to be diving into that. So first, Gerald, what is a supplement and in what scenario you recommend people take supplements. Do you need them? Good question. Very, very good question. So a supplement is really just a product that's derived from food or like herbal herbal extracts, herbs, and uh, it is added to one's diet in hopes of improving some sort of specific outcome, whether that's health or performance. So typically they're used to prevent like nutrient deficiencies, aid in some sort of body composition improvements, or some sort of performance related goal. So, you know, when someone comes to asking me about a certain supplement, I ask them a 
few questions to start off. The first one is, why are you interested in this supplement? What, what is kind of your, your goal? Uh, what are you doing currently to reach your goals? And what, what does your diet, your training, your lifestyle look currently? And one of the big ones, too, for me is, what does the research look like for, for the SUP2? So those are some preliminary questions that I ask that client, that individual about, you know, why, why are you interested in this supplement to begin with? Got it. And then in what scenarios are you going to recommend? So what are the, like, if someone answers this, you're going to say, oh, you need to take this supplement or is there anything like that? So first and foremost, I always look at like their lifestyle and their diet too, to really see if a supplement is even warranted. You know, there, there's a select few that I think that could be, you know, beneficial for a lot of people. But again, I'm always going to take a look at what their, their nutrition and their exercise, their other lifestyle factors are going to be going that are in place already and seeing if they could benefit. So for example, like a very common one would be a multivitamin. You know, I am on the opinion of really, they're not going to hurt you. Um, there are such things as nutrient toxicities too. having too much of a certain nutrient can be, you know, a negative side effect, but you know, they're really, really high doses that you need to take in one singular supplement for toxicities mm-hmm. to occur. And if your diet is really lacking in a wide variety of foods, fruits, vegetables, grains, things like that, a multivitamin, I kind of treat it like health insurance, basically, like, you know, nutrient insurance almost. So if you want to cover your bases, things like that, a multivitamin is a very, very common one. And I don't think it's really going to hurt people, but, um, just one of, one of the most common ones people ask me about. Speaking on a multivitamin, I'm going to pull your leg a little bit here. And if it's just considered insurance, why do people need to eat vegetables and fruits at all? If they can just take a multivitamin that has like everything theoretically quote unquote in it, then they can just skip the, all the vegetables, right. And just take one pill. Sure. That's a really good question. And so there's a few reasons why I wouldn't just be like, oh, yeah, you don't need fruits and vegetables. You just take a multivitamin and you're covered. One is you're, you're getting just those single ingredients, vitamin A, vitamin B, vitamin C, all those things. But what you're lacking is fiber, which is highly beneficial uh, that comes from foods, fruits, vegetables primarily, where you know it helps with gut health. It can help with your bowel movements. It can help with so many different health factors that improve your life. Satiety is one of them too, for hunger and feelings of fullness. So it's not just the, the ingredients like vitamin A, vitamin B, you know, and so on, but also the other things that come with it. And there's also phytonutrients that come with fruits and vegetables too. Um, antioxidants and other compounds that aren't in a multivitamin. And now the last part in this as well, before we move on, is that some people say, I haven't fully dove into this research, I've read a little bit, um, but is a multivitamin fully absorbed like other whole quote unquote foods would? Like if you eat an apple, is it going to be absorbed, the nutrients going to be absorbed the same way as a multivitamin? So a lot of people say just like a multivitamin is just expensive urine. So... You know, there are certain ingredients in multivitamins where they're super high doses, especially like B vitamins. So if you're taking in excessive amounts of B vitamins, they're water water soluble. So you're really just going to pee them out. Like like when people say it's Mm -hmm. expensive pee, basically. Mm -hmm. Um, So 
you know, if you're taking in a huge high dose amount, yeah, it's not necessary. But yeah, I, I, I don't truly know the research on how if, if a, is a multivitamin inferior as far as bioavailability or absorption goes. I tend to think that, in my opinion, and from things that I've seen already in like research, it's you're still your body's still going to absorb those vitamins, those minerals in the multivitamin, um, and it's most of them are formulated to, you know, supplement your diet and for the aiding in absorption too. So I wouldn't necessarily say that a multivitamin is like five rungs down the list on superiority inferiority obviously i'm gonna recommend food first over anything because there's so many other benefits that come with them rather than just taking a pill every day definitely and while we're on the topic of the multivitamin which is kind of a broad general supplement are there any supplements that you would recommend uh to most people like if someone were to come to you you have a high suspicion this person's probably going to be needing this and is there some particular supplement that everyone should be taking uh that's making a blatant statement like that is really tough honestly because nutrition is just so individualized i don't think Mm -hmm. everybody needs to take like you need to be taking x supplement because this 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 um, but there are some very common ones that I do recommend very regularly. Those would be uh, protein, so just like a whey or casein or even like a soy protein, uh, creatine, and multivitamin is a common one too. Just because they're, I, I can see from their you know diet intake or their dietary recall when I ask them about it that they are really lacking in some fruits, vegetables, and a wide variety of foods. Got it. And the, the reason that I asked this is that when it comes to physicians, um, a lot of times when we get like routine lab work, you might see someone's deficient in vitamin D. And it seems that everyone is taking a vitamin D, su- D supplement and it's just like very commonly recommended sure. when the research actually shows that it doesn't necessarily mean that you need more vitamin D. Um, it's more of an acute phase reactant that shows other aspects of your health. Um, so those are some of the things where like everyone doesn't necessarily need to be on vitamin D. Sure. It's just that most people are not sufficiently quote unquote healthy and that vitamin D is just showing that. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's the reason that I asked that question. Yeah. And you know, that, that's the one thing too, is like, if, if you're not deficient, you're getting regular lab work and nothing's wrong. There's no, there's absolutely no reason that you really need to supplement them. Definitely. And then on the flip side of that, are there some supplements that you think no one should be taking? Uh, I, I'm, I'm sure there's some out there for sure. Some may be legal, some may be illegal. Man, the, the supplement industry is really like the wild, wild west just because, you know, it's, it's not well regulated. You know, the, the FDA really only steps in when there are adverse uh, reports of a, a supplement. So... And there's a lot of gray area with that too. But some of the main ones that I think are pretty useless are anything that says detox or cleanse, that's a red flag right off the bat because you have a liver and kidneys for a reason. So if anybody's, if anybody, one brand or person is saying, oh, I take this supplement because it detoxifies my liver and it cleans out my colon and all this crazy stuff, and I'm, I'm not buying it. Um, so really anything that says detox or cleanse, I'm not a big fan of fat burners too. That's a huge one. Uh, some people like to, some companies like to sprinkle in ingredients in fat burners that are uh, 
are banned from like WADA or the NCAA. So you got to be really, really careful with those. Um, and I wouldn't necessarily think these are supplements, but I, they kind of fall under that category too. And that would be SARMs. So selective andro- androgen receptor modul- modulators that are the huge craze right now too. Um, so yeah, a lot of those, there's a lot of scary things that people can add to supplements and not put them on their label. And the only time that the FDA or any sort of governing body steps in is when there's a, a, a good amount of adverse effects being reported because of it. Definitely. Can you talk about SARMs for a second? Um, you brought them up. A lot of our listeners might not know what it is. So in case that somehow gets brought up, whether at the gym somewhere, can you explain what that is? Yeah, I, I hear this all the time and everyone thinks it's like the next best thing. And SARMs are selective androgen receptor modulators. I'm pretty sure that's the correct pronunciation for that. But they're touted to have steroid-like like androgenic effects without the side effects that, you know, the general you know, steroids provide. Um, but from the research, that's not the case at all. Um, there have been a lot of adverse effects uh, reported for, like, cardiovascular issues primarily, too. So... You know, and there's a lot of mixed results. I I do not doubt that they work at some capacity, but, and the the touted benefits are like increased muscle mass or, you know, helping with fat loss. Those are kind of the main ones, but I don't think it's uh, as effective as what people are thinking. And there's still negative side effects too. So I'm not a big fan of them. Again, they are illegal too. So if you are in the military or if you are in a some sort of team sport or some sport that is drug tested, if you get drug tested, you can pop hot for SARMs and you can get kicked out, fired, whatever the case may be. So again, they're, they're illegal. They're technically... On the label of SARMs, they're they say like not for human consumption. They're for like lab <laughs> use only. So and people are like, yeah, this is a great idea. Let me stick this into me. <laughs> exactly. And so that, that's the weird thing with like the supplement industry and all of these crazy compounds out there is they they know the loopholes. And I'm not I'm not saying that SARMs don't work. I'm sure they I'm sure they do help at some sort of capacity. But again, uh, you know, I, I'm always going to be taking a look at what's your nutrition, what's your training looking like, what's your recovery, what's your sleep. And nine times out of 10, when people are looking at all of these powders, pills and stuff, they're, they're stepping over $100 bills to pick up pennies where they're not taking their nutrition seriously. They're not recovering. They're not training well. So like those are going to give you more benefit than any pill is going to give you. Definitely. I like how you brought up that a in like theory, uh, like in a mechanistic model that SARMs might help. And I think that goes for a lot of other supplements out there where there's just like this one compound that they can extract from some leaf somewhere that they're like, oh, this has this kind of effect on these receptors within your body. So theoretically, it should have this effect. Thus, we'll make a supplement out of it mm-hmm. when there's not that many robust human studies. And then when people actually start taking it because it's not regulated by the FDA, 
Humans go straight to humans. You don't necessarily have to do any trials, studies, anything like that. Um, and even if there are studies, it's not with like that formulation. It's just maybe that one ingredient. And then they formulate it into a product and then you have no idea what's going to happen in humans. And then it's all as a product. So unfortunately, that's pretty common in the supplement industry, I'd imagine. Um, and that's one of the reasons why you should stick to kind of the ones that are largely studied in humans. Exactly. Yeah. Then there's, there's so many other like really shady things that supplement companies can do with their products. One of the main ones is proprietary blends. Are you familiar with proprietary blends? Yep. So, you know, that if, for the listeners that don't know what proprietary blends are, uh, they are basically like a mixture of other ingredients. And so what a lot of supplement companies do is they say, oh, this is our patented proprietary muscle building blend or whatever and they just tell you like an amount that well they'll tell you the ingredients in it but they don't tell you the amounts in it so i'll give you an example like creatine creatine is one of the most well-studied supplements out there typically three to five grams is a efficacious dose of creatine daily so Let's say X supplement company makes this a muscle, fantastic muscle building proprietary blend and they have creatine in it. So the average consumer is like, oh, that looks awesome. It's creatine in it. It has these other ingredients that it's going to help me with my performance, help me with my muscle gain, et cetera, et cetera. But what that supplement company can do if they're being shady and unethical is they can highly underdose that creatine. So let's say they they have creatine on that ingredient, but they sprinkle only a little bit in. So there's creatine in it, but it's not at the efficacious dose, uh, dose of three to five grams. Maybe they're putting half a gram in there just so they can slap it on the label and cut costs down. So that's a big one too, is I'm always looking out for, you know, what that supplement has in it, if it's clinically studied and also is it in the correct dosage, dosage too for the benefits that it gives. We want to take a quick break to remind you that this podcast is not intended for medical advice and is for educational and informational purposes only. We also want to remind you of our Instagram page at PreventPod, where we share various content relating to each episode that you can share with your friends if you enjoy our episode. And lastly, don't forget to sign up for our mailing list so you know right away when an episode goes up at www.thepreventedmedicinepodcast.com. And with that, let's get back into this episode. There's so much shady business going on within the world of supplements and most people that lift weights will at some point take a supplement. How do you find what to take? Because like you're talking about, you have these proprietary blends, you have all the shady business going on with random ingredients that who knows whether or not they were tested, whether or not they actually do anything. How do people go about and find appropriate supplements? <laughs> Great question. So one of the big ones is, you know, Finding, having resources available for you to study a certain supplement. I'm a big fan of examine.com. If you've heard, if you've heard of yep, that, I'm definitely. Sure um, that's like one of my go-to resources when someone's saying, Hey, I'm looking at this ingredient and I've never heard it in my life, which is not to lie, pretty, pretty much a rarity. Now I feel like I'm pretty up and up on a lot of the new supplements out there. So that's one of the first things I take a look and examine.com covers a lot of different topics as far as health, nutrition, fitness go. So they cover supplements and that as well. Also other third party testing sites too. So the, the NSF is a big one. So that's the national sanitation foundation. 
And hmm. that is a third-party testing site that will go in and test a supplement for its label accuracy, the purity, what is actually they're saying the ingredients are if it's actually in that product. So that's a big one too. Um, those are kind of like the, the main uh, forefronts of studying and making sure this supplement is a viable option. Another one would be, you know, what does the brand make? That's a big one that I look at is, you know, is this supplement company just throwing out 5,000 different supplements just so they can make a quick buck? Or are they, you know, just sticking with more of those accurate, well-studied ingredients that have been shown to help? So if I look, go on a supplement website and I take a look at all of their products and it's, oh, it's fat burners, it's cleanses, it's detoxes, it's muscle builders, it's testosterone boosters, which is one of my favorites. Um, there, there's so we can many, talk about that in a second. <laughs> yeah. So there, there's, there's so many and they're th- just basically throwing everything at a wall and hoping they all stick. Um, that's a big red flag for me. So I like, you know... <laughs> At the end of the day, supplement companies are just trying to make money. So I understand that. But, you know, I'm also a big advocate of, you know, if you're going to give out a product, like, don't be shady about it. (laughs) Definitely. I agree with you. The problem is that whatever you're talking about, examine.com, look at the company's website, that requires actual effort. And when you have someone that's not like, that's gen pop, that doesn't know about examine.com, that doesn't know about all these websites, they pop into GNC, you have the rep that is usually just like, I don't know, getting commission for some product. They all seem to sell the most expensive thing, which helps them. But also they all seem to gravitate to the strangest products, which have like this crazy branding on them. That's like, I don't know. Um, what do you suggest for the general person? As far as like lo- looking for, you know, something. Yeah, because the, the general person off the street's not going to go into a GNC or a vitamin shop or whatever supplement store, pull out their phone, scan the back of the ingredient yeah. label, and then Google each single ingredient or examine.com each ingredient. What do you suggest in that scenario? I would say, first off, ask someone that knows what they're talking about. I think that's one of the biggest ones. If you If you aren't willing to go like research it yourself or you honestly just don't know and you, you're not educated on the subject. Again, I, there, there's nothing wrong with that, but reaching out to someone that knows what they're talking about and can guide you in the right direction is essential. Uh, that goes with any kind of profession though, too. Like I, I'm not just going to work on my car because, Hey, I can, you know, do it myself kind of thing. I have no idea what I'm doing. So I'm going to go to a professional and have them take a look at my car and tell me what I should do and how to fix it. Exactly. Um, And one of the other reasons to do that is because like we've been talking about this entire podcast, there's a lot of shady stuff that goes on in the supplement industry, unfortunately. So a lot of these products have things in there that you probably do not want in your body or have no clue what you're putting in your body. And um, that's probably a good reason to either get educated on it or find someone else who knows what they're talking about before you just start buying things. Um, I know this wasn't on the outline and it's something that I want to bring up. You mentioned testosterone boosters. So we're going to do a brief like what to buy, what not to buy. Let's start with the what not to buy. Can you name just a bunch of things that you would not buy in general that are just like out there to make money and not actually going to help anyone? Uh, what not to buy just supplements in general 
Just supplements in general. You mentioned detox, you mentioned cleanses, testosterone boosters. What else? Uh, you know, anything like SARMs is a big one. Um, fat burners, most of them in general. Um, trying to think of anyone else. Off the, there's just so many. Like, I, it, it's really tough. <laughs> is there anything like it? Is there one in particular that you're thinking of? Um, there's also work. just so many, I don't know. You're in the world of supplements. <laughs> it's, it's really tough. Are there ones that like that have popped up for you and you seem like skeptical on, you're like, Oh, what about this? There's a whole bunch of ones that I'm seeing these days. Um, cause I used to follow the bodybuilding world. They're like liver support, kidney okay. support. I have no clue what's even in those things. And like, why do you need to support your liver when you have a liver? So a lot of those, I, I, now this is just me making inferences for sure. But a lot of the people that are promoting the liver and kidney support are also, those aren't the only supplements that they're taking, if you know what I mean. So I don't, I don't know if I am confident in saying that those supplements are making a huge difference or a huge impact. Now, don't get me wrong. I, I will gladly eat my words down the road if those products, like I know Tudka is a big one too for like organ health, um, other products like that. I don't know the research on them, to be honest with you. I think like, like I'm going back before, like focusing on food, focusing on your nutrition, your recovery, your sleep, the the other things that you might be missing the mark on. I think a lot of that can prevent a lot of the issues that you may be seeing. Again, that's not saying that medicine can't like, again, with, you know, medicine, we need medicine in our lives. Like sometimes medicine is definitely warranted for a, a variety of populations, but with, with those like liver organ support ones, I'm, I'm not a big fan. I, I would say don't waste your money. Uh, I would say the exact same thing. Um, and let's move away from the topic of supplements soon. And the two by list, you've already mentioned creatine, whey protein, and a multivitamin. Is there anything else that is like blanket safe? You just have to find a good brand to trust. That's a tough one. What about, what about pre-workout? Let's talk about this. Okay. Yeah. Let's, let's guide this discussion a little bit. I feel like I'm leaving you hanging a little bit too much. Let's talk about pre-workout. Yeah. I, I think, I think pre, pre-workout is, is fine. I, I mean, I take it. I've, I've recommended it. I've made my own pre-workout before. Like I've sold pre-workout before. And the reason I, I did that is because there's so many terrible supplements out there. And I, I think if you want that little extra edge, if you want some sound ingredients that are known to help you, I am perfectly fine with like a pre-workout. Okay. But again, so it sounds... Go ahead. Oh, sorry. I was just going to say, again, you just really got to be careful on there's so many pre-workouts out there too. And a lot of times I see in pre-workouts, there's an ungodly amount of ingredients in the pre-workout. And a lot of them are just fillers. I think a lot of consumers look at that and be like, oh, look at all of these ingredients. That must mean like it's fantastic. And that's not the case at all. Typically, it's the lower the amount of ingredients, the better. Um, are there ingredients in a pre-workout you look forward for or like this makes a good pre-workout? What would you put in yours? So in mine, I put caffeine because caffeine has been mm-hmm. shown to be beneficial yep. for performance. Um, creatine because creatine is one of the most well-studied supplements mm-hmm. in the world. Uh, 
beta alanine, which can be helpful too. Um, I always, I always told like the people that are interested in like mine specifically and be like, if you don't like tingles, um, or very sensitive to that beta alanine, you might not like this though. Um, but there's, there's some evidence on like muscular endurance for beta alanine that can be beneficial, especially if you are in more of those higher rep, uh, like exercise regimens. Mm -hmm. So caffeine, creatine, beta alanine, and then I had beetroot actually. And that was kind of like my out there, uh, ingredient that I included in mine. Uh, there are other like beetroot powder supplements out there. Um, that are just solely beetroot, but I put that into mind because there are some potential benefits on vasodilation and like dietary nitrates are, are big in like vasodilation helping with blood flow. And so beetroots are a form of that, that can help with the vasodilation increased blood flow. So. Got it. And are you still selling your pre-workout? I'm not. Okay. Got it. Um, so when it comes to supplements, for those who are listening, caffeine, creatine, beta alanine, and something for a vasodilation product seems to be safe for pre-workout. Aside from that, you have your whey protein and your multivitamin. That's typically what would be considered safe. Aside from that, if you have a deficiency, talk to your physician, maybe a vitamin supplement's appropriate for you, an additional on top of the multivitamin, and be on the lookout for shady companies and shady products because, oh boy, do they exist. So I think that's a pretty good summary for supplements. So let's move on because you do way more than that. And I felt bad about kind of pigeonholing into supplements a little bit because it's a little bit of a, a, little bit of a strange topic. Um, but you don't only do that. You take care of clients when it comes to their diet for performance. How do you take a client through their diet and kind of construct it for performance? So most of the time, the first thing I do is I get a lot of like their anthropometric, all of their like health history information. That's being a healthcare provider. I feel like if, if you're not doing that, you're not doing a good job. So I always like to get a good background on like where they're coming from, what are their current habits. Uh, then also taking a look at their their current usual dietary intake. So what are you doing right now for your nutrition? Are we missing any marks on certain things? What are your goals? Uh, those are two of like the primary ones. Uh, big thing is seeing if they're like deficient in anything. So that's a lot of times I I have a I have a pretty good eyeball on like seeing like oh you're you're low in this. Um, that's something we can address, but yeah, those are the main ones. And then also looking at their other life, I sound like a broken record, but looking at their other lifestyle <laughs> habits, like less stress, sleep, recovery, you know, what is your, what is your day to day look like? What's your occupation? Mm -hmm. Are you a student? Are you, are, do you have a wife? Do you have kids? Do you have a, some significant other, anything? So I try and take a look at a lot of different variables to get a better picture on, you know, what their current situation is and how we can go forward to help you get you where you want to be. Definitely. Do you take people through macronutrients for first, or do you kind of just start with the eat more of this kind of food on top of that, add this, and then all this kind of stuff? What is your approach? So I, I, I love a macronutrient based approach, but not all of my clients, I, I don't just like send them macros and be like, all right, go figure it out. Because mm -hmm. any of those so-called nutrition coaches out there can do that, but that doesn't make yeah. you a coach. What makes you a coach is taking into account everything and making this experience, that client coach, that coaching experience 
something that is going to be valuable for them. Some people uh, that I have talked with, they're like, I, I don't plan on tracking. I don't want to deal with this. This is stressful. I have enough going on. And so most of the time I say, okay, we're not going to, I'm not going to give you numbers because it's not going to be beneficial. If you're not going to do it, what's the point of me wasting my time doing all those fun calculations and stuff and you wasting your time trying to do this when I'm just setting you up for failure. So, you know, with people like that, I'll, I'll just, we make small really sounds really like really sounds simple. You know, a lot of times people, people be like, that's all you want me to change for this week. And I'm like, yeah, we don't, we don't need to make huge changes because I'm sure as you know, being in this healthcare field is, you know, if, if we totally do a 180 on all of your lifestyle habits and make all these crazy dietary changes, you're more likely to burn out. So creating more small, manageable and sustainable changes over time is one of the best ways to get you where you want to be and for you to adhere to something. I 100% agree with that. Those small changes over time make a much larger impact than what you could imagine. And a lot of people do try to make that larger change at the first onset of trying to set a new goal. And we actually talked about this in our last podcast. Um, for those of you who are listening now, we actually had a uh, go listen to our last episode. We talked about goal setting. I actually had Jordan Syed on oh. um, Side Fitness. And then we were talking a lot about goal setting. So go listen to that about that. We're not going to dive into that whole topic because that's a whole other discussion. But I definitely agree with that. Um, when it comes to, you've obviously seen a lot of, uh, clients, um, that have come in. What is the biggest mistake that they're making, um, before you start working with them? A lot of clients that come to me and they are tracking or they say they're tracking, they're not tracking correctly or they're really like eyeballing it or they're just kind of guessing. So I think that's kind of one of the main ones is, you know, clients that come in and say, yeah, I'm, I'm hitting, you know, this many grams of protein, this many grams of carbs, this many grams of fat. But in reality, they're they're really missing the mark on how they're doing it. Definitely. And then um, when it comes to seeking out a client or like someone's already signed up with you, unfortunately, a lot of people never sign up with a nutrition coach and they just kind of uh, turn their own wheels for a long time. Don't know what's going on. They've stagnated in their progress, whether, whether it's in the gym, their performance, all of that kind of stuff. When should someone seek out help for their nutrition? Great question. Um, I'm, I'm obviously going to be biased in this because <laughs> I'm a darn dietitian. But, uh, you know, the tough thing with, uh, with about like my profession is everybody eats. Everybody has an opinion on nutrition because X worked for me. So obviously it should work for everyone else, right? Mm -hmm. um, where that's completely wrong. Uh, nutrition is just so individualized. But if you're looking to seek out help for your nutrition, you feel like you're spinning your wheels. One of the big things is, you know, if you have health concerns and you're consistently having trouble with them, that's one big thing I think, you know, a nutrition coach can tremendously help you. Uh, accountability is a huge one, too. I have a lot of people that they say, I know what to do, but I just need someone to help keep me accountable. And, you know, I've had nutrition coaches in the past purely for the accountability too. And mm -hmm. I, I really relate this a lot to training too. A lot, a lot of times people can get by going in the gym and, and training themselves and, you know, making their own workout program. But it's so nice to have someone else outside looking in, giving you feedback and recommendations on things that you may be missing too. 
So that's why I'm a big fan of, you know, hiring a nutrition coach because, you know, sometimes it's just nice having more of that athlete mindset and putting on the blinders and saying, okay, these are my goals. This is what I'm going to focus on. If I execute this, I'm going to, I'm going to be on the right path. I like how you said that everyone eats. Um, this is something that everyone has opinion on. Um, we need to eat to survive. It's not something that's like optional. It is a everyday occurrence and everyone has been eating a certain way, whether they grow up eating a certain way, they've been influenced maybe in high school and college throughout all these various circumstances and they carry all that information with them, whether or not it's correct information. Um, it is information that they use to kind of base their decisions off of. And then also there's a whole bunch of quote unquote free advice when you're scrolling through uh, social media, you see all these people with various tips and tricks, and then you're like, oh, why do I need to pay someone to do it? I can do it for free. Um, would you say anything against like following social media advice? Do you think you actually need to hire someone for it? Or uh, how do you know? As far as your question is like, would you follow social media advice over hiring someone if you find someone that's reliable? If it's someone reliable, I, I think there's a lot of great education out there on social media, but there's equally as much bad uh, content out there when it comes to nutrition education too. So, you know, the big thing with nutrition is a lot of people have different opinions on things too. Um, although nutrition is a science, there's a lot of open for interpretation too. So if, you know, you follow 20 well-known nutrition coaches and, you know, that know what the heck they're talking about, they may have 20 different opinions on something. So that's where I would be, you know, recommending if you are someone that like likes to be a sponge and absorb all this information and you're getting all this conflicting evidence, a nutrition coach would probably be best for you. Got it. And then uh, that makes sense. I think there's a lot of times when it comes to social media, there are a lot of those conflicting opinions and people get lost. They just have no idea what to do. And then either they just stop doing whatever it is. They're like, oh, if everyone disagrees, there must be no right answer. So there's no point in doing this. Or they just find something else that's like contrarian, which unfortunately seems to be happening a lot these days. We're like, these guys have no clue what they're talking about. They're all saying various things. But this guy over here who seems to be eating only liver all day and then running around in a cape oh. throwing spears, he seems to know exactly what he's talking about But he's so, because he's so confident. That, and yeah. I see that as a trap that a lot of people fall into, unfortunately. At, that's one of my biggest frustrations in this industry is just because you look a certain way does not mean you know a damn thing about nutrition or fitness. That's one of the biggest things that drives me nuts. Can we expand on that for a second? Um, you, Because there's so many people that look a certain way that look like they're in peak quote unquote health, but mm -hmm. they might actually not know what they're talking about. Probably don't for the most part, or just give like terrible advice. How do you know if someone on social media is giving good advice? Great question. Uh, some of the big ones is if, if they're evidence-based. Um, you know, citing actual research studies instead of just, you know, picking out abstracts and, you know, giving good recommendations is a big one. A big one for me is education. You know, I, I don't think everybody absolutely like I have seven years of college in nutrition and I, I would like to think I'm a pretty darn, you know, educated on the on the aspect of nutrition. Uh, do you need seven years of college? No. I don't, I don't think everybody needs to have such an extensive education to help people. But 
it definitely helps. And I think you do need a good solid foundation to understand the physiology and science behind it. So education is one experience is another. Are you someone that lost 40 pounds and figured out yourself? And now you think that you have everything figured out and you can help everybody. That's a big one that drives me nuts. That, that is a lot of people yeah. out there. They're like, Oh, this is my weight loss journey. So now I can help you do it too. Exactly. And the, you know, a lot of these people that are giving out these crazy diets and giving all this crazy information, they might just have really, really good genetics. They can build muscle real well. They can be super lean in the process too. They might be on a lot of drugs too. <laughs> that's, that's another <laughs> thing. Um, that individual that you kind of referenced before, I, I, I'm not, I don't, I don't want to make claims that I don't know. I don't follow him. I don't know anything. But I've seen enough memes going around. I just follow the memes. That's okay. how I stay informed. <laughs> yeah. And so I follow enough memes where I'm like, probably you're not only just eating organ meats. You, you're doing other things too. So. Yeah. But yeah, um, those are those are two main ones with like, you know, they might just have good genes. They might be, you know, they, they just got good parents. <laughs> And while we're on this topic, you mentioned education and schooling. And a lot of people, whether they're on social media or wherever, claim that they're quote unquote nutritionists or diet specialists. What is a registered dietitian versus dietitian versus nutritionist? And what are actual experienced accredited like this is legit versus this is not legit? My favorite question to answer. So save the best for last, right? <laughs> so a nutritionist is not a regulated term. So anybody can call themselves a nutritionist and not get in trouble for it. Um, a registered dietitian or a registered dietitian nutritionist, those are, those are two synonymous terms. As long as you have that RD, that registered dietitian in your title, um, you, you are a credentialed healthcare provider. So a dietitian needs at least four years of a bachelor's degree in nutrition or some sort of nutrition related field. And then they have to go through what's called a dietetic internship. So that involves 1200 hours of supervised practice. So basically you're an intern or, you know, kind of like residency, I guess you can kind of compare it to that where you're working under dietitians, you're working alongside dietitians, you're, you're, interacting with patients, you're actually in a healthcare setting. Uh, a lot of times you have different rotations in clinical, community, and food service rotations. So there's a, there's a lot of variety when it comes to that internship. And then once you, pat, once you get through that program, you can sit for a nationally credentialed examination called the RD exam. So I, I compare that to like the NCLEX for nurses. It's kind of like the big exam that you need to become that profession. Mm -hmm. So once you pass that, you're a dietitian. Congratulations. Um, so after that, that's not really the end of your, your career or your, your schooling too. You do mm -hmm. need continuing education credits too, just like any other healthcare profession. Every three to five years, I can't even remember, honestly. I think it's five now but I could be wrong, but, uh, you need to have so many continuing educational credits that you are staying up with research. You're still learning. Um, cause if you're in a science field, you're a student for life. You don't just get to, you know, hang some degree on your wall. 
and mm-hmm. call it quits and be like, oh, well, I'm a dietitian and I know everything now and science is ever evolving. So you got to be up, up with the current research and all the new evidence if you want to be a good one. Definitely. And then I, I wanted to also ask about like there's various certifications out there. For example, you have the certified specialist in sports dietetics. Where do all those come into play and which ones are legit, which ones are not? Because people these days just make up their own whatever they want, put it in their okay. bios, put it wherever. Yeah. Um, so the CSSD or the certified specialist in sports dietetics, that is a specialty certification you can get as a dietitian. So I, I treat this kind of like you know, I, I compare it to doctors where they specialize in pediatrics or radiology or whatever. There's a laundry list of them. Mm-hmm. Dietitians can do the same. So they can specialize in sports dietetics and be a sports dietitian, or they can specialize in oncology, which is a big one too. So cancer mm. patients or pediatrics or, you know, geriatrics. There's, there's different specializations that you can go in into as that healthcare professional. So there's a list of them. Um, they have them on the Academy of Nutrition and Dietetics, which is kind of like the, the governing body that takes care mm-hmm. of all that stuff. So there's a list of them. There's, um, yeah, pretty much. That's Got it. it. All right. So when it comes down to it, if you are looking for someone to help you with nutrition, find someone who is actually registered um, and then already in their name, preferably. And then if you're going for sports nutrition, then probably find someone who has a CSSD, someone who's credentialed for what you want, because out there there's people just making up degrees, making certifications, making whatever they want just to make some money and sell people some random things that are not science based, could be harmful. So thank you very much for coming on. We had a great perspective. Um, We had a good talk on supplements. I hope it was beneficial. I hope you enjoyed it. The last question that we have is if you are at Starbucks, let's say you're getting your Starbucks before you go to the gym as your pre-workout caffeine hit um, and someone recognizes you and asks you, how do I get healthy in two minutes? What do you tell them? This one had me had me thinking when I when I looked at your outline. It's it's always the easy ones, right? It's what is preventive medicine? How do you get healthy? (laughs) Yeah. Um, so I sat and thought about this for a bit and this is the best. I I felt like it was almost kind of a trick question for me, but I, I put down, you you don't get healthy in two minutes. You you get healthy from making consistent lifestyle changes over days, weeks, months, and years. So, uh, prioritizing your nutrition based on your goals, make sure you're getting in plenty of protein, fruits, vegetables, fiber, make sure you're sleeping daily, have stress management techniques that help you relax and stay active based on your goals and what you can stick with. Make it enjoyable. Thank you. That's nice and succinct, especially in two minutes. I think a lot of our guests end up uh, overthinking that question and then going into like five minutes right. instead of two minutes. And then coffee will get cold at that point. So thanks for keeping it succinct. Um, I feel like there's a lot of other questions out there regarding sports nutrition. You mentioned eat lots of protein. We didn't even discuss protein during this. So if any of you are listening to this at home and want Gerald on again, please let us know and then we'll have him on again and then we'll go talk about some of these other topics. I hope you're open to that. I just kind of offered you up. Um, I I really appreciate it. This is actually my first podcast I've ever been on. So really? Yeah, I I appreciate you um, bringing me on. Hopefully I didn't stutter or stammer or say um too much. No, you you did phenomenal. So hopefully I'd love to be back on down the road. Definitely. Well, thank you so much for your time. Thank you for coming on this morning and uh, I hope you enjoyed it. Thanks so much. I did. All right. Take care. You too. 
Thank you for listening to this episode of the Preventive Medicine Podcast. If you enjoyed this episode and want to help us spread the message of prevention, first off, rate and review this podcast. Second off, you can find our content on our social media platforms at PreventPod. That's P-R-E-V-E-N-T-P-O-D. Thank you for listening and we'll see you in the next one.